welcome to episode 227 of The Great and Crowbar. It's the 22nd of February. I'm Tom Francis, and with me here are... Alex Wilshire. And... Philip War. Hello. Hello. Philip War. What? Philip War. Well, it's because you'd roused me from my consideration where we're, it's the 22nd of the second month. So I was like, oh, it's two, lots, all of, the twos. lots of twos and it's 227. And I just, I, I'd started thinking about that, to be honest. I was quite surprised I remembered my name in time. <laughs> this won't happen again until the 22nd of February next year. <laughs> Fun fact for you, calendar fans. But yeah, so I'd, I thought I'd covered that over magnificently. Thanks, Alex. <laughs> Philip a war. <laughs> the thing is, we spend the rest of the podcast calling me Pip anyway, so <laughs> it just doesn't make sense. Actually, anyway. someone linked someone linked a really old Crate and Crowbar, um, and I started listening to it, and uh, it must have been before you were on it at all. Um, and I mentioned you, and I call you Philippa. I thought that's weird. I haven't called you that for, <laughs> since then. Probably, probably. The <laughs> how she wants to be called, and then everybody's been calling her Pip. <laughs> How are you both? <laughs> I'm cold, but I'm good. Really? I've got a hoodie if you want it. You do? <laughs> yeah. I'll put it on. <laughs> yeah, like Tom, Tom is somehow in the temperate area of the living yeah, room. Yeah, I don't know what's happened there. With his, with his sleeves up and his cold beer out. <laughs> yeah. It's like in. it's summer over here. This is like a... <laughs> I came in, I took my coat off, thought, oh, I'm cold. I put my hoodie on. I put my hoodie on and thought, I'm hot. And I took my hoodie off. And then Alex said, he's cold. <laughs> That's the story of the hoodie. I'd like to point out that there is no condensation on your glass at all. That's saying you shouldn't be drinking this. <laughs> <laughs> it's like hot toddy time. I think it's, um, if you can put the beer outside to cool down and drink it, then it's still good beer. <laughs> always true, I think. <laughs> if you can put... Out, beer outside, then it's good to drink. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's my rule. I'm sticking to it. I didn't think it entirely through. <laughs> wow, that's um, <laughs> sure. <laughs> You're gonna love our pond if you just like drinking outside. <laughs> Probably would make quite a heady experience. That's I remember seeing a great spawn at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> a great picture of um, uh, someone somewhere in North America where it snows like three feet and you get completely snowed in and they open their front door and it's just a wall of snow except they've tucked all their bottles of wine into it and <laughs> withdraw them. And There's neat. a thing you can do with like um, frozen sort of snow drifts and um, I think it's like maple syrup. You put the maple syrup on it, and what? it like freezes into oh, wow. sticks or something. Like oh, I can't, you sort of dribbles I can't down remember and if there's more to it, it but yeah, down. like it basically it just seemed like oh sugar sticks. But yeah, nice. <laughs> there's some other news though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the only news we have. You won't be reading from that, but. Um, <laughs> The news that it's always good to drink beer and that maple syrup freezes. We have some uh, Crayon Crowbar news, in fact, first, which is that um, we're going to be doing a live show at Rezd on April the 14th, which is the Saturday. Um, At 4.30pm, it's going to be me, Chris, and Graham, and uh, might just be us, or uh, we don't know who else yet. Uh, and that's, yeah, like I say, it's the Saturday of Res, which is in London, and the Saturday usually sells out, so if you want to get a ticket soon, that would make sense. Uh, and we'll go to the pub afterwards. You do need a Res ticket to go to the live 
podcast. You probably don't need a race ticket to go to the pub. <laughs> no, I believe that. a bunch of people like that couldn't make it in the daytime came along to the pub afterwards for because cool. it's usually on the Saturday. I think is when RPS does its meet up and stuff. Yeah, I think in fact the pub might be RPS's meet up. <laughs> it might just be. Well, hijacking I remember that. last year we were competing with a pub quiz that was also happening. I think that was by possibly <laughs> their deve- not develop. Maybe develop. There might be something like that, might it? Or you're so, a gamer. Yeah, I can't remember whose pub quiz oh, it was. Oh, games industry. Yeah, I think so. I, I yeah, I should know that. I don't need to know that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so I might just go along as a punter, or maybe I'll walk past the podcast and go hmm. <laughs> <laughs> <And> sail on. <laughs> <laughs> you heckle us from the crowd. Yeah. <laughs> Shut up! You're boring. <laughs> what about console games? <laughs> <laughs> Tell me more about Subnautica. <laughs> oh, that would no Not problem obliging that heckler. Pips on here. <laughs> Philip a war. What happens if you put maple syrup on snow? <laughs> Is it okay to drink this beer now? <laughs> so I think we've sufficiently upsold that. <laughs> Are you doing anything else at rest? Uh, yeah, actually, I'm going to be talking about heat signature uh, the next day on Sunday. Um, I think I'm being interviewed in some capacity. Oh. Sounds great. Sounds like a talk <laughs> that you don't have to write. <laughs> no. Of course, there's a potential for me to say something stupid. But then you don't greater. get to edit it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, that should be fun. Uh, I'm not going to be showing, I'm not going to be like demoing a game or anything, because uh, I don't think wizards will be ready. And heat signature is too far in the past because it's too far in the future. <laughs> um, there are a couple of other little bits of news. So uh, I didn't know, this isn't new news, but I didn't know it. Uh, Imbroglio is coming to PC, which is Michael Bro's game uh, that's so far only been on iOS. And I don't think he's released anything on PC since 868 hack, but he's been merrily making mm. games on iOS alone. Um, and Imbroglio is the one where... Uh, it's a roguelike where each like top-down, move-around maze kind of thing, and when you attack an enemy, how much damage you do and what the effects of your weapon are are dependent on the tile you're on. So you sort of lay out a, t- a grid of weapons, and then you move around that grid, and wherever you're standing, that's the weapon you're using, uh, which is a really cool idea and w- works really well. Um, and also, it's crying out to be on PC because it's really fiddly. Uh, the interface for it is really bad for making these, uh, like laying out <laughs> those weapons is so... You've got to like drag them, but it keeps slipping and putting them back where you don't want them and stuff. Um, it's going to work so much better on PC. Uh, it's going to be a little while, apparently, because I think he still wants to do another expansion to it first on iOS and then port it. Um, and the reason I was reading about this is because I was actually reading up on his new game, Synchro Pulse, which is not on, not announced for PC at all. Um, although hopefully what he's doing is just very, very slowly and belatedly bringing them you know, to PC eventually. Um, and that is one where you have five wands each of which has five different effects, none of which you know. And uh, you can only find out their effects by using them, but any effect that doesn't apply to the situation uh, won't get revealed. So if it, like, uh, duplicates treasure and you fire it and you don't hit any treasure, you won't find out about that. And even if you do find out about it, you just get a little icon that's really cryptic, and the icons are tiny. And uh, if you want to look up the what those icons mean, you can do so, but the entire game's in Portuguese. <laughs> 
and he, he believes it's one of his more accessible games. Yeah, Michael Burr is, not, is surprised that this the 868 hack is, is sort of selling better than this uh, because he feels this is the accessible entry point to his work. <laughs> no, I, can't, I can't see that <laughs> in the angle. Is it in Portuguese seems... for a reason? Is it because that's a really widely spoken language? Or he is, is it because partly. he... Um, I, is think he he's, living... that was that was, I think he's living in... Is he, is he in Portugal? Or... Oh, okay. He's in a Portuguese-speaking oh, country. And so he's, he's learning doing the a language. Portuguese class. Yeah. Oh, cool. And everyone else in his class are using the language at work. And he was thinking, oh, I don't get to use language at work because I just sit at home making games in English. And he thought, well, I can make it in Portuguese. <laughs> And so it's not even like uh, apparently he hasn't even like had it checked or anything. It's just his best stab at Portuguese. So it's, not, it's not even potent, it's potentially even incorrect Portuguese. Yeah. Could he submit it for credit on his course? <laughs> <Probably>. <laughs> it's. I mean, he's not too worried about it because uh, he made it with, with that in mind, and so he tried to make it so you didn't need to read too much text to understand it. Mm. But Cole doesn't feel that way when you play it. <laughs> <laughs> Like I'd really like to know what that icon means if that's the only information I ever get. I really want to know what that actually says. <laughs> um, Assassin's Creed's educational mode is that uh, Assassin's Creed Origins? I think um, that came out yesterday. Yeah, it? you yeah. downloaded yeah, yesterday time. for me. Um, that is the mode where you uh, can go around the whole world. Uh, but all of the combat is removed. There's no like threat. There's no quests to do or anything. But there are all these tours added. Is it like something like seventy different tours scattered all over the world? I'm not sure. It's a huge. Or is it locations that have things to read about in them or something? Yeah. So I don't know. Um... There's another change as well. What's that? They covered up all the rude bits on all the statues. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there are all these Come venuses. <laughs> there are all these venuses with um with scallop shells over them. Oh God. Yeah. Good <laughs> is that like an American school thing? Do you think potentially? It's, yeah. It's... The thing is, there's actually there are some um, there are some uh, uh, brothels with extremely explicit Roman paintings on them. Have you noticed them? <laughs> I haven't played it at all. I was waiting for the for the discovery tour, but then I didn't have quite enough time before you lot turned up, so I <laughs> booted some other things up instead. So yeah, so this is all a mystery to me because I didn't want to involve myself in anything to do with Assassin's Creed because I never do. So I was I was very much waiting until I could tap out and just have a wander. It's mm. definitely it's a good wander game. Yeah, and apparently um, you can fly around as the eagle, which is the main thing I like doing in Assassin's Creed um, uh, in Origins, and uh, that's awesome. Also, the photo mode is in there, so you can like um, pose the camera and change uh, all the settings. I think you can even change like time of day with that. Mm. Yeah, um, I'd hope so. Yeah. So messing around with that and flying around as an eagle are the two best things in Assassin's Creed Origins. And this mode is it's free for anyone who already owns the game, but also it's like 15 quid if you want to buy it by itself. And so then you just get the whole world, um, uh, the whole of uh, the game world. <laughs> <laughs> Should clarify. Assassin's Creed. You don't get actual Argentina. Did you as well? But yeah, that seems really good. Like if I hadn't already bought the game, I'd probably buy just the educational mode. Yeah, same. Just to run around it, look around it. The game is not, like, terrible. <laughs> I qu- quite enjoyed most of the sort of stabby stuff. Yeah. And it's got a good structure, actually, in terms of, like, taking your route posts and um, getting resources. It's got quite a good, like, addictive loop there. But it is just killing people and slaughtering animals. Slightly janky skins. killing stuff, yeah. 
And, and uh, yeah, uh, being with your character saying how much he venerates uh, crocodiles because oh God, yeah. because because they are um, holy to him, yeah. and as as a man he says this upholding like twenty hours the into the game, laws, yeah, the holy laws of his place, and he gets really angry with a bunch of Romans and things who come in and slaughter them, uh, uh, having just slaughtered about twelve crocodiles, I'm wearing twenty crocodiles because he right wanted now. to make a pouch for his. <laughs> Tinctures. So much of my armor is made of crocodiles. <laughs> Religion. <laughs> so yeah, it's janky, janky, janky. But I, I found it very fun. Yeah, it's I think beautiful. I'll definitely tinker around with the world yeah. um, either tomorrow or over the weekend. Because yeah, like the... and if you can walk around and then go into the tombs and things, that's great as well. I that's mm. what I I really love, kind of going into the tombs as much. Yeah, I think essentially I just I've more and more started to prefer photo modes and things because especially with big games they're so greedy for your time and especially like ubisoft do that kind of like proper sort of time land grab yeah, i guess and loopies to get you um and i think that's that's really good if that's the game that you bought and will spend hundreds of hours in and have an affection for the series like i'm not undervaluing that it's more just that because that is so not the luxury that I have at the moment with games. It's yeah, that it adds to the frustration rather than the appeal. I would say. The System Shock reboot had a sort of alarming announcement uh, on their Kickstarter that um, they are taking a hiatus in order to change direction, like reevaluate what they're doing. And the post was basically, the gist of it was um, uh, the Kickstarter campaign was a success and they got loads of money and uh, they got 1.3 million, I think. Actually, that isn't much more than what they asked for. I think they might have asked for like 1 million. Um, and that's not an awful lot for a No, project. it's not go crazy money. <laughs> but they seem to um, have gone crazy. Uh, so they started adding more... Uh, taking it further from a remake. Originally, it was just going to be a remake and more into a reboot. Um, and uh, promising like whole new sections that weren't in the original game and all this other stuff. And uh, their post sort of says like, we now realize this was probably a mistake since people actually want us to remake the original. <laughs> and they changed engines. Um, and I think they're out of money or I don't know, that might be speculation actually. Um, uh, but yeah, it's... Uh, the, the, the post reason... was kind of quite, it was from the game director or the head of the company, mm. so I can't remember his name. But it felt like it was quite anxious to say that changing the engine was not a, that was a really good decision. That was a good decision. <laughs> but the but the game had gone awry. Like what they were making suddenly. Oh dear. I wonder whether some of it came from a conflict, whether official or or simply kind of spiritual, with the fact that the other other side. Is it Other Side Studio? One is called Other Side and one is called Night Dive. I think it's yeah. Night Dive who are doing the remake. That's right. And Other Side Studio who are currently making the Ultima Underworld update or a new one of those and they're making System so Shock 3. Yeah. Huh. So Warren Spector is head of that studio which is in Austin and they're making a bona fide System Shock sort of follow-up. Mm. You know, and I wonder whether there's a conflict if, if, if they ended up making a game which is sort of more of a Less of a reboot and more of a another game. Hmm. I think there's like two things here, right? It's at what point you 
move away from the thing that you got the funding for because if that's what mm. people paid for yeah. and invested in then <clears throat> surely there are questions to answer legitimately in terms of well if you're no longer making the thing I invested in then you know that's that's one side of it and, and especially also, when, it's, when that's founded on that demo which was mm. like it felt you know maybe not in all details but like uh, yes this is this is system shock mm. too yeah they had a sorry I was just going to say also in every single dissection of a thing, every single like post-mortem of a game, what went wrong, what we learned, no one has ever looked back on an engine change and gone, that was an amazing idea. (laughs) That was the best thing we could have done that wasn't at all a massive stress and caused us a million hours more work (laughs) and was massively expensive. (laughs) I remember the the Dreamfall uh, follow-up. they said it nearly destroyed their studio just to switch from like Unity 4.2 to Unity 4.5. <laughs> it was just going up on the Unity thing was such a huge headache that it you know cost them like six months of work or something. Mm. They nearly ran out of money. The System Shock reboot Kickstarter had um, <laughs> three different like stretch goal systems to it, so they only hit three stretch goals. Um, the stretch goals went all the way up to like three million. Um, and but then they also have a separate system for like if you share the Kickstarter campaign enough or download the demo enough, like when they hit certain milestones, that 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 translates to like backer mission points. And then if you get enough backer mission points, then certain other things about the campaign change so that like individual features get upgraded and have um, new aspects to them. And and like ten of those were met. So my picture is too small to read what those were, but those are all extra things that oh on top of God. the basic game. Yeah. I, I really want to see the Kickstarter campaign that's just like, here's our stretch goal system, and it's like 25 notches, all these different amounts of money, and it just says, we're increasingly sure we're going to make this game. We're increasingly <laughs> sure. We're really very sure we're going to make this game at this point. And like, after this, I'm definitely going to make this game. <laughs> yeah, I think. The other thing is, like, I, I do wonder how much those extra tiers benefit like i'd be genuinely interested to read whatever research has been done or data collection because i wonder whether it's that people put money in like more money into a thing just because they want they have a particular amount that they want to invest in okay there's a cool thing attached to it but it's not the the point of it so you know maybe just different money tiers would be better than here's a poster and a dinner with my dad or something (laughs) it's like uh, yeah it's weird because it's like the people you get the money from at the stretch goal phase are people who almost certainly don't give a shit about the stretch goals because they're people who uh have have not actually backed it yet they're Mm. people who had not yet decided to back this thing um, and they usually jump in because suddenly they think, oh, it's a done deal. Like the psychology of it's quite interesting. Yeah, I mean, maybe there's loads of people on the fence and like, I, I guess things like adding Linux support is quite a common stretch goal. And so, <laughs> yes, you get the Linux audience might back you. And that's small, but they are they are pretty passionate. So that's uh, probably not zero. Um, but I would w- willing to bet most of the extra money you get after you hit your goal is from new people hearing about it who didn't know about it before. And whether they back it or not, it's probably not going to be affected by the stretch goals. So it's I assume they exist to motivate existing backers to then like campaign on your behalf and try and get yeah. people to back because they yeah. want these extra features. Yeah. But so many have like Kickstarter backers, uh, certainly potential Kickstarter backers, 
have such fatigue about this now and they're so tired of things they back not coming out and going off the rails that I think you would win more credit with them just saying we're not doing any stretch goals. I think the only thing that I... To go back to um, like tier rewards rather than stretch goals, I think the only thing that I have ever deliberately backed at a higher tier than I was going to was Beasts of Balance because I wanted that ghost crab. (laughs) (laughs) I don't remember why it mattered so much to me at the time, but it really did. (laughs) So uh, Beasts of Balance is is a game that I used to be on the... uh, Studios. See, I could have just shaken you down for this. <laughs> it was a, a game where you balance plastic toys on a, on a plinth, and that speaks to yeah, And there was we had a stretch goal for a, a ghost crab. <laughs> and I wanted it. <laughs> yes, and now I will need to find somewhere to put it. <laughs> but that sort of stuff where it makes sense where it's expanding the game it's like yeah. sort of like do you want the deluxe edition or do you want the standard edition that you know that kind of you know that that's makes true sense. i will never i don't well never is instantly opening myself up to the one exception or whatever but i just don't care for video game posters i don't care for do you not have do you not plaster them all over the i can't see a single one in this house (laughs) i know i'm a massive letdown aren't i it's terrible (laughs) i have my i have my firewatch pictures up on the on the thing although they're the ones i took myself not the ones that you can order through the game oh did you print them yourself (laughs) yeah excellent (laughs) well i got i got a set through the game so i'm not a total monster cheapskate (laughs) what a monster you need to print your own screenshots <laughs> but I preferred mine because I they you know because one of the annoying things about film cameras and why they have perhaps fallen out of favor partly is because you don't have that level of control you don't like get to take 50 shots of one scene and then like pick the nice one <laughs> you kind of look through and go Ah, not a single one. Interesting. <laughs> well, that cost me seven pounds. <laughs> and yeah, waiting for weeks for it to be exactly. <laughs> That's all the news. What have you guys been playing? What have you been playing, Alex? Because Pip is drinking. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've been playing um, Legendary Gary. Oh yeah, I've heard of this. It's by. Um, Hmm. I'm going to look this up. It's not by Gary. It's not by Gary. <laughs> this much we know. But it's one of the developers behind um, Whatever Happened to Edish Finch? No. <laughs> Where on earth is Edish Finch? Edish Finch. Edish Finch. <laughs> you, it's you the like cold. It's, get, it's getting to my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Where on earth is Edish Finch? <laughs> what is it called? I'm forgetting everything. What remains? What remains? Oh, I see. Sorry, I thought you were trying to think of a similar game, not Edith Finch. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> Did you hear about Edith Finch? Whatever <laughs> <laughs> happened to her? <laughs> What's eating Edith Finch? <laughs> Are you that god? It's me, Edith. <laughs> <laughs> so um, it is a game uh, in which uh, you play a character who's playing a game, and um, and it's really weird. It's kind of um, really beautifully drawn it's all been drawn by the developer whose name i'm really struggling to find it and i don't know why um uh you uh, so t- this is a, a gary lives in a, in the basement of his mother's house and he uh, has a dead-end job or in fact i don't think he has a job when the game starts um he has a conversation with his mum and discovers that that she has given all of 
her husband's uh, in, health insurance, who he's obviously died, to a, a preacher who's preaching about the end of the world. And so they're broke. And Gary's got this, he's in his 20s or so. And uh, uh, things aren't looking particularly great for either of them. And his mother's in total denial about it all. And he kind of finds uh, escape in a video game called uh, Legend of the Spear, which is clearly sort of meant to evoke Final Fantasy or that kind of thing. Mm. Um, but it is all drawn by the developer who's called um, um, Evan Rogers. Uh, and uh, he has a really nice line art style, very um, decorative, uh, beautiful use of colours. And he's animated it all himself. Um, and kind of, so his his room is really detailed, sort of line, sort of almost pencil drawings uh, with lots of details on his desk and things. And But he all sort of points and clicking him around and you're talking to characters. And it's very linear, um, but then you can choose to uh, click on his computer and you can play the game. And it's all controlled in the same way, but it has battles in it. And the battles are turn-based um, strategy game um, mm. where... When you when it's turnover, you line up the moves you're going to make with your characters, and then it's turnover, and then everybody moves then at the same time, um, and it's all played on a hex grid, and um, uh, and it ends up being quite an interesting sort of almost balletic kind of uh, fighting where because it then replays it um, when you win uh, a fight and um, you get to see how you dodged back and then came back in again and wound up for a hit and then hit them out and then it's beautifully it's really nicely done I mean it's not by any means a a, a perfect strategy or, or tactics game like it's because because he focuses so much on his art uh, and they're all sort of 2D big sprites if one character is standing on a hex in front of another character, suddenly you can't quite yeah. see what's behind them. And there are some little problems like that, uh, which might become more annoying as the game goes on. I'm probably about two hours into it now. Um, but um, it's it's kind of beautiful and it's all done by himself. So it's kind of, you know, it, and you kind of feel that you can excuse the little kind of issues like that. Um, but it's, you know, he while it's him on his own, he hasn't stinted on little sort of details and kind of sort of filigree stuff. So uh, I was I saw a scene yesterday where we're driving to the mall, uh, to, to, a, to a supermarket where he's going to uh, beg for a job from his old boss. And um, his friend drives in there because obviously Gary can't drive because he's a sort of total dropout. Um, and... Uh, and his his friend asks him to stick his finger up at some guy in a car next to him, and you get to click on the finger to choose, and you can choose which finger. <laughs> and you little go to the finger. little one, and you go, yeah. And it's just like little choices of things like that, and you know, little sort of non secretary, but kind of like sort of enriching little moments like that, one off little interactions. Did you try clicking the wrong finger? I didn't. I didn't. You only get one chance. But I, I thought, uh, let's go the whole in life. life. You only get one chance. To but that's actually finger. that's an interesting thing actually. So it has this kind of little light system in it as well called willpower, and um, often you'll be in a conversation and you'll have a number of choices and. One of the choices will only be open to you if you have enough willpower power safe and you know in your bank, and you get willpower for quite surprising things. So at the very start of the game, 
you're in this awkward conversation where you're basically being told off for playing too many games. And and when you say, uh, and oh come on, you get um you get one willpower for being frustrated. <laughs> <laughs> but then so it's kind of like, you know, it's quite sort of, you know, it, it plays around with your expectations. But then later on I saw a conversation where the option that I wanted to say, but I kind of wasn't sure that I should say it was, I can't remember what the conversation was about, but it was like an annoying conversation about, I think I think Gary's girlfriend is on the phone and she's got something to tell me. And, you know, I want to play the game tomorrow and, and she wants to meet up instead. And I wanted to say, no, nope, I want to play the game. And I could have chosen that option, but I played it out. And then the next time, then in the next choice, the next willpower one, the, the cost had inflated. So it's kind of quite playful. Like, mm. I can make this option now before I'm sure that that's a good option. <laughs> but in the next time when I suddenly realised that was probably a good option, now I'm kind of priced out of it. So I guess it, it costs more willpower thing. because you've like you've already semi-committed to the other option? Like, Maybe, yeah. I, I don't know about the logic of it. Is it <laughs> social awkwardness? I think it's, it's just like, a social oh, awkward. It it's the so sort of like, oh, damn it, if I just said it then, <laughs> yeah, I can relate then, to it, that. Would, then, then it, it would probably be in a better position. And now I've got the conversation's gone too far and I can't say that. Yeah, yeah. there's like a, um, yeah. uh, a group emails where you're just about to suggest something and someone else suggests the opposite. And you're like, oh, fuck, now I don't think I should. Yeah, <laughs> I don't want an argument about it. <laughs> I like also, I guess, to a lesser extent, you know, the the graph of um, time passing against at what point you can, or the effort that it will take to remind someone that you're not actually called whatever they're talking, whatever whatever name they're using for you. I'm not called Alan. Willpower one. (laughs) The next day, willpower six. I'm not called Alan. Alan. (laughs) Oh, no. The next week you see them. Willpower 500 million. Or equally like, I'm Alan now, I guess. <laughs> equally like when you do meet someone, what's your name is like zero willpower when you meet them. But like three days later, if you didn't ask it at first, <laughs> yeah. it's like 25 willpower now. It's going to be really weird to somebody else. Who are you actually? <laughs> I'm interested to see how far he takes that system because it's like it's, it's evidently like there's, I don't think there's any particular sort of big causal things, that are, you know, big decision trees going on in the game. I think that it's quite carefully curtailed but you know it's just it's like I'd be just I'm interested to see how far it goes um but yeah as the game goes on you start to realize that things in the game have resonances happening in his real life in in real life and um that's kind of reflected in some of the game systems so there's a garden outside the front and his mum says go and make the you know go and tend to the garden and the plants that you grow there will give your characters in the game additional skills for as long as you bother to water them. So it's kind of a little, little sort of Animal Crossing style kind of, you know, busy work game that kind of, they're also, you know, they might have some choices over which ones you nurture as well. Does your uh, success in the game within the game have any bearing on the game? Uh, so I haven't come up to any fail states yet. So there was a so you can rewind. So in a combat, in combat, I lost one of the characters because um, I hadn't dodged her out of the way. Uh, um, and when that happened, I realised oh, I should have chosen that for her because I think she I'd have her in danger. And indeed, I did, and she got killed. But then you can rewind your turns as back far back in the combat as you like, um, and you get to see. You know, there's there's also a good preview system, so you can see what the computer is about to do in its turn so you can kind of uh, make good choices so there hasn't it's not been challenging yet um 
but it's been plenty to think about during the combat. I, I, I wouldn't say right now that it's a very deep or kind of, you know, massively meaningful kind of combat system, but it's it's fun. It's fun. But yeah, it's um, I'm interested to see where it goes next. Um, and the, the, I said that it was a sort of redolent of Final Fantasy. It's mostly in the logo because actually it's much more fantastical and surreal and weird kind of game than that. Like the kit, you know, there are you talk. I spoke to a lobster guy, and there are these weird kind of water imps that I had to have a fight with, and <laughs> there are, you know, it's very surreal and kind of sort of. Yeah, you, you know, there's not you haven't played a game set in a world like this before. Um, but yeah, I I don't think it's going to be a long game. Probably that's five or six hours. I believe it ends up being. But um, yeah, it's it's a nice, interesting game. Legendary Gary. <laughs> is it um is it a few quid? Is it free? Is it good question? I think I think it's like twelve quid or something like that. So that might be a kind of it's, it was only released this week. So. Oh. See, so yeah, it's £11.39 right now, but that might be on offer. I see. Thank you. <laughs> I may check this out. <laughs> what have you been playing, Pip? Um, I've been in that weird thing of not really settling. So there's... Um, I tried playing Faye, which is the um, EA indie hmm. thing by Zoink, um, which came out recently about, it's, it's, you know, a colourful forest and what seems to be a kind of colourful forest sprite creature that sings at things and they kind of respond. But like, I don't know whether it's me not being in the right mood, but I'm not feeling it. I, I tapped out after about half an hour because I was just like, I... Okay, because <laughs> I think maybe it's just because I tend to get sent those games, um, so I've seen quite a lot of them, so maybe it's more the sort of thing that, you know, you sort of not get used to after a while, but, you know, I've, there are quite a lot of very pretty forests with quite a lot of very lovely animalistic Is kind of totally sprites. totally non-verbal? Um, it seems to be, although there are text prompts that pop up to tell you to sing at things. Um, yeah. And I'm just sort of like trotting around, activating platforms and, and getting to new sections. And I think there is a kind of pleasure at points, but it's just really not clicking for me. And so it's like, okay, well, this is the type of plant that makes a little fan of air that takes you up to the next thing and it's like I uh, yes I know yeah, yeah, <laughs> I'm I <know>. sure yeah. <laughs> and, you know I'm sort of riding around on a on a deer at the moment and that's like okay if they are kind um, of engineered to delight you aren't they but um, it isn't yet. and the deer animation is really annoying me oh, at really? the moment like it, it jumps in a weird way that is clunky it, it's clunky and I don't like how... Because th- it feels very much more for controller than mouse and keyboard, which, you know, I get. That's fine. But it, even on that, it doesn't quite feel smooth and you really need it to be for this kind of thing. So I don't, I, I don't want this to be, like, the definitive thing that I say about the game. I will try and go back in case it was just a case of it not catching me at the right mood or... 
you know, me having just not quite hit the point where it gets going. But it it feels a lot like one of those games that is very friendly to trailers or presentations and things, but I'm not finding the the magic hmm. when it's actually in my hands. So I know what you mean. I've I've felt that <laughs> uh that sort of weariness in those kind of games. I I I I was trying to unpick why and there's something I do find the kind of the way they lay out the your motivations for playing a little bit, you know, they they're so similar. Like, you know, cute creature sort of loses something or something dies, the home is destroyed or something like that and must go on a journey, all told without words. All stuff that I've probably written sort of stuff eulogising the first few times it was done, you know. Ori in the Blind Forest. Yeah. See, I would prefer to wait for the next Ori game than, yeah. like, if if I wasn't sort of keeping an eye on these things for work, it's, I would have just gone, okay, well, this isn't for me. I'm going to go back to waiting for the sequel to the thing that I love. <laughs> yeah. So. It's funny though, like, yeah. I, what I find, what I, what I find sort of slightly sort of upsetting is that if this came out like five years ago, maybe, you know, what would that take us back to? That would be 2013, maybe a bit earlier. So like 2011, yeah. 2010, you'd think this is just, this is incredible. You know, this is just beautiful. Look at look at the expressionistic <laughs> nature of this. Look at look at the way we're just being guided through a beautiful world and it's all us. It's yeah. like <laughs> steering our, our own direction. And like, and now it feels... I've done this before. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the thing. But also it has other, um, like I was saying, the, the clunkiness of dealing with this deer really early on is um, it sort of makes me, I, I can't help but think of things like Future Unfolding, which yeah, yeah, yeah. just is so much better at generating those moments of surprise and wonder. Like, mm. because this, so, like, I, I should stress that I've played maybe half an hour, an hour of it. So, but that feels like it, it should have hooked me somehow yeah. by then, right? But, um, like, in that time, it hasn't shown me anything I haven't seen elsewhere, right? There's there's a singing mechanic, which is kind of annoying. It's a bit like um, uh, uh, the going about in the sand, skating down the sand game. Journey. Journey. <laughs> <laughs> they almost called it that, actually. Going about in the sand, skating down game. <laughs> they are called that game company. So they're into <laughs> but yeah, so you press your right trigger on the controller to sing at a thing. And if you hold it down, it sort of sings quite aggressively. And that's like bad. You shouldn't. So you sort of have to find the sweet spot of pressing the thing. And I'm just, I'm just a bit like... I, Okay, like it, 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 it hasn't got anything about it that has delighted me yet. It's just okay. These are the systems. Yeah, cool. I'm just imagining a subtitle saying aggressive singing. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing. It's like it really should have doubled down on that with like the world kind of covering its ears or like flipping into like an evil version or something. But it, you know, it, it, it hasn't. It just didn't trigger the thing. And then you're like, okay, well, I've, I've now sung at a thing, and it has generated the mushrooms to, to grow bigger caps so I can so is it just an arbitrary is a new and ar- it's an arbitrary just sort of result to every time you like well it's I, I I don't know that it's arbitrary because like I say I'm so early in but it's you know you 
they're just so many things I've seen before. Like, you know, um, what was the game? Is it Seasons After Fall where you're that little fox that goes around and mm. you flip between seasons? And so in the, I, I think it's in the autumn, if you flip to autumn, then the um, the mushroom caps are like full out. So you can use them as platforms oh, and nice. stuff. And that was kind of an interesting, you know, it had the the interesting sort of element of that. Whereas this is like, okay, well, I did the thing that triggered the thing and now I've got the mushroom caps out. Okay, cool, right. And then I tried jumping on them and, and I was sort of slow because I was like, oh, okay, uh, you know, I'll have a little look around because it feels like a looking around game. But then they folded back in on themselves, so I had to sing again <laughs> to reopen them. And I was like... <sighs> so, yeah, so that was that. But the other thing... Eurogamers, just quickly, on Faye, oh, oh Fee, or Fee. Faye. 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 Well, I checked on the um, on their um, their own dev blog on oh, yeah. uh, YouTube, and they call it Faye. Okay. So, and that felt, yeah, that Faye. chimed with what I'd been calling it, so... Uh, Eurogamer strap for it was very good, which is noisy, cutish, and short. <laughs> nice, I saw that. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah. So the other thing that I started playing but have had to stop for reasons of intellect <laughs> is um, Matthew Brown's new thing, because um, Matthew Brown is the person who created things like uh, hex cells and stuff, mm. which is the sort of. Um, Pie cross adjacent uh, puzzle game series um, and square cells, which sort of dips a bit further into maths puzzling. Um, so he's done this thing, which is is really cool in that it's essentially an interactive museum that takes you through the history of cryptography. Oh, is that game? Yes. Yeah, and so it starts off with things like plain text ciphers, which are relatively straightforward to uncover you know you get one in oblivion you know it's the hmm. you know when the beginning um letter of each paragraph tells you where you need to go uh, in the city it's stuff like that which is it's not actually encoded it's just hidden within text in a particular way um and then it sort of goes through different rooms ramping up the complexity as you go through history um and it's it's interesting because it's personally it's interesting because I did a mode on uh, a module of cryptography at university because I needed to make up some extra credits in my first year and that was the only maths you saw the blockchain coming (laughs) that was the only maths um, course they would let non-maths students do uh, do. so I figured this would just be easy as and it it was really interesting but it was also a really easy credit for me because I was like yeah (laughs) just I've just dropped out of a maths degree so this is all just stuff I kind of have at my disposal so that was that was nice um but this kind of goes through pretty much the course trajectory that I did but I've forgotten so much (laughs) and I was so oh god um like really really struggling with it and thinking oh am I that bad at this and then I realized how many years it's been since I graduated I'm like 
Oh. <laughs> and it was one of those real, oh no, yeah, that's, I, I now feel old and inadequate and <laughs> really want to go back to my parents' house and find my university notes just so that I'm not beaten by this game. <laughs> so there's a kind of now a, a personal um, pride <laughs> at stake. Um, but I, I do find myself thinking that it would be more fun to do it as a group of people, like as a, because I, I, it was me and two other people on that course, because the math students weren't allowed to do that course for some reason. <laughs> what is the, I know, the, module, right? the math module we can only do them. if you're not doing maths. We can't let these math students come into this the forbidden They're village. They're too powerful already. <laughs> and so I sort of was um, on my way home the other day thinking, oh, it'd be really nice to see Matthew and Greta again and just like do this like almost like a course revision kind of thing or like you know just sort of getting getting stuck into some of it ourselves like together and do the this must be like a nightmare a for some people is like there's someone from university comes back and says let's do revision together i know <laughs> no it's over isn't it this is yeah. why this is why no one accepts my facebook request <laughs> tell you. um but anyway yeah so that's kind of interesting so uh, obviously you start off with these plain text ciphers and then you move on through things you know like um Oh, what's it called? The Julius Caesar kind of method where things shift by a certain number of letters and you can sort of figure out using um, frequency of letters appearing, what they actually map onto in the regular alphabet. You know, you can kind of um, basically do frequency analysis and um, then slide the alphabet along until it actually fits with how the regular alphabet looks, you know, with... Things like E. Is that how like Rock 13 works? Things. I don't know. <laughs> That's a very common, like, really simple cipher that we use for like disguising spoilers, where it's uh, okay. trivial to crack, but. Um, yeah, like you, just but you just you, can't you don't read, read it, it natural language. Yeah. yeah. Um, so those were kind of. How does still... it teach you them? Like, as you're playing? Well, it's interesting because it kind of tells you, it's, it's like going to a museum um, exhibition, and so you sort of go into a room and there's an explanation yeah and there's an explanation on the wall in front of you as if it was you know a thing at the at the vna or at the national portrait gallery or something but at every station where you would normally have i don't know a work of art or an exhibit or whatever it's actually an example of the code and in the little pedestal in front of you you have a a little terminal where you can either ask for a hint or input the solution to the thing that's on the wall. Hmm. And so that's really cool. But because of... So the difficulty just escalates so quickly because code-breaking kind of... With with the advent of more recent technology and, you know, the sort of the... the uh, cipher wars of various actual wars it, it, things have become so um, so much more complicated and so much more than a human being brain can often hold in mm. their heads so it's things like um, yeah like I, I'm wondering because it's gated off some of the rooms because I haven't solved enough puzzles to get there but I'm really wondering what it's going to do when you do get there because there's some stuff that's essentially like um, part of doing it is to multiply two astronomical primes together and then do <laughs> stuff with that um, with like um, 
modulo functions and things like that. And so I'm kind of like, I don't know, I don't remember enough to get there. So I'm wondering what tools the game will give you or whether it's more just a kind of whistle-stop tour through the history of cryptography. And if you want to solve it, you can, and maybe you join Mm. a subreddit or something, but it's maybe not necessarily a thing that you do solo or as as a kind of the witness style <laughs> progression it just <laughs> it just wouldn't be but the other thing is kind of because it because of that sort of sudden explosion of um the way that we need to encrypt information and use that uh, it, it's interesting because essentially it the first maybe two rooms cover so much of human history and then like the rest of it will presumably be you know the last hundred years right (laughs) so that's kind of interesting like i'm I'm stuck on the visioneer cipher room at the moment i think because that's like what it is is it's a version of the one where you change um where you just shift a letter by a certain number of positions but what you do is you have a code word that you and the person you and the recipient know and so you <laughs> it's so hard to think how to describe oh, this I know what you mean. but yeah essentially you have the message and then you uh, go through it with every single character sort of marking out so say the word was cats um, you know, you would write C A T S C A T S over the, you know, over each character like one at a time. That's what I do in reading anyway. And then each one of those would get ciphered in the four different ways. So the first one would get the C, the oh, okay. the um, yeah. shifted, the, to yeah, C. shifted to C. Next one's, yeah, and so you sort of you can crack that but it's a combination of doing um that frequency analysis that i was talking about and also looking out for repeated patterns so that you can guess the um the length of that code word that is being used is it i'm I'm faintly concerned about when you get up to kind of like um the enigma uh, machine level is close to me alex i will never know if that's it's a mercy it's a mercy because like they had you know the bletchley park had hundreds of cryptographers working on this so they did i always wanted to um to make a game about uh not the actual sort of mass of cryptography but the stuff surrounding it the strategy stuff where um uh when the germans had like a a different code word each day for, Mm. for their codes that the enigma eventually cracked um the, there was a time when uh, Bletchley could crack it if they knew the code word, uh, but getting the code word each day was, you know, um, mm. uh, if you don't know the code word, you can't do it at all. If you um, And getting the code word is obviously difficult because it often takes more than one day to do it, and then the things you're, you're intercepting aren't relevant anymore. So, But if you know what message was being sent, you can reverse engineer the code word from that. <laughs> like, So if you, if you don't know the message and you don't know the code word, you've got nothing. If you know the code word... And you don't know the message, you can find out the message. But if you don't know the code word, if you do know the message, you can reverse engineer it. So what they'd do is they would actually fly a plane out to a particular place where they knew there was a commander who always reported things in the same way. And they knew he would report a plane going overhead in the same way every time he saw it. <laughs> and it, they would intercept that communication and they knew the message exactly what the message would say because it would say the same thing every time. And so they could reverse engineer what the code word was for that day. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Have you read um, Cryptonomicon? 
Neil, uh, yeah, oh man, this is um, Neil Stevenson book, so um, the Snow Crash author, and it is a a very thick book about that basically covers this, the the history of cryptography from the Second World War onwards. So it's like it sort of it has various different kind of sort of threads running through it, but um, so part of it's set in the present day and part of it's set during the Second World War. But it's it's like it goes into how the cryptography systems work and and kind of you know, um, uh, but what is really interesting is is about the sort of if you know if you've broken the enemy's code, you kind of don't want to give them any yeah. sense that that you've that you've done that. So um, it follows a group of people in the Second World War whose job it was to put uh, uh, messed up information. That the the Germans would capture about what the Allies knew, mm. so they oh, would right. go off and do operations <laughs> that would 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 randomise the information that the, the the Germans would get, and like you know, it's just fun, rip roaring kind of tale, but it's got loads of kind of de- you know sort of um, mm. detail about this stuff. Yeah, actually, I tell a lie. I've got slightly beyond that room, but only by dint of solving enough earlier puzzles, I think. Um, and the next room is more about like puzzles that involve different things from other elements of life. So I think there's one that maybe taps into music and there's, um. you know, like, and um, I, I can't remember at which which room is introducing which thing at this point because there's like so much different information at play. But, you know, there'll be other things where maybe you need a bit of Morse code to follow it and stuff like that. So those are... Like some of sometimes the extra information is on on the wall of that museum room or something, but more as a reference point, like for when you have figured out a bit of what's going on and you need to know a thing. But yeah, so that's that's really interesting because I can't quite. It, it doesn't feel like it follows the trajectory of puzzle games in the way that they usually work and in the way Matthew Brown usually works them because you know the the tendency is to have you know tutorial puzzles that then lead into slightly more difficult ones and it gives you maybe a new tool and then you have to figure more of that out whereas this is a lot more this is the next yeah. thing that now learn a whole new paradigm and, yeah <laughs> and like here are some examples see what happens you know kind of thing like not not in a brutal way but just it's it's such an interesting difference because it does make it feel more like a a museum that you're allowed to visit but that maybe you'll need extra help to crack and that's kind of but nice it in has some gated it's interesting these gated off bits because you know yeah. like i would I wouldn't know anything about cryptography from the first puzzle onwards if I played this game. <laughs> I think you might. I think you'd sort of you'd be surprised, but I also think that I have no sense of how somebody who didn't learn these things feels about it because mm. obviously like I do get to coast on some of that knowledge that I had through a bunch of seminars and practice and stuff like that. I I would say the only thing that is missing for me is that over the um, the course of things, and also just in further reading, cryptography seems to absolutely love this example of 
Alice trying to communicate with Bob, but being intercepted by Eve, who is evil. <laughs> and like, that's the sort of this ongoing tension. It's, it's Alice and Bob who are essentially like freezing Eve out of their interactions. <laughs> and Eve is sad and wants to join in, or evil and wants to join in, or like thwart it at this point. So are it's you, kind of like an interesting... Are you Eve in the game, aren't you? Well, I, <laughs> well, this is the thing. Like, I was thinking about this, but also like, there is, you know, there's, there's a real unexplored emotional depth to Eve's journey and all of this. And like, why do Alice and Bob not want her to know what they're talking about at any given time? Like, come on. Did they create the monster? Why not? <laughs> exactly. Like, maybe she was just interested at first and then treated it as a learning opportunity and then they just escalated things and now she's had to become some sort of evil super criminal. And, and yeah. <laughs> That's a good um, little cryptography parable in a script for a movie called Atopiary, which has not been made, but um, uh, it's by Shane Carruth, who did Primer and Upstream Colour. And it's a bunch of kids, some of whom are, are smart beyond their years and some of whom are not. And there's kind of a falling out between two of the kind of leaders um, who are uh, reasonably clever and they want to send a message between them, but they don't want anyone else to read it. Only any of their underlings on either side of the, the gang wars that have uh, arisen and so um, uh, one of them writes a message puts it in a, in a box and then locks it with his padlock that only he has the key to and then sends it and asks his um, uh, his lackey to take it over to the enemy uh, guy and he's like but he won't be able to open it because he doesn't have your key yeah. so just tell him to put his lock on it yeah. so he takes it over and the other guy uh, I don't think he even tells him that I think, um, I think the other guy has to figure it out that he, he gets his locked box with no key and uh, he realizes what he's supposed to do is put his own lock on it that he only has the key to and send it back. Yeah. And then only when it's got another lock on it does the original person unlock his lock, knowing that the underling still can't open it because it's got another lock on it mm. now. And then the the intended recipient can unlock it. And that's how pretty good privacy works or public key encryption. Yeah, cool. yeah, that's the yeah that was the um, the 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 story that we got told when mm. when we were learning that section and stuff because it's i think that's i think that's where the massive prime numbers come in because you yeah. sort of you multiply things by you know and, and because each end has a different key but the way that they work in tandem essentially means that yeah you don't need to because the 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 way that crypt Photography worked for ages was essentially that both the recipient and the sender had to be working with the same information. They would have the same sort of, okay, that's the code word at the moment, or that's the way that we're encrypting this. Therefore, that's how we decrypt it. But as soon as like public key, well, I can't remember if that was the first thing, but like public key kind of means that the, the person sending doesn't need to have that same information. It's this sort of asynchronous, um, yeah way to encode and decode which is kind of interesting hmm. what was the name of this game again? it's called Cypher Cypher. it's Cypher with a Y in case you were curious mm. what you been playing Tom? I have been playing uh, Abandoned Ship um, which is just to early access uh, which is by Gary Birchall who I think some of us have met I've certainly met him He's yes. a big um, PC Gamer fan, and more importantly, a Gunpoint fan. <laughs> uh, so immediately, <laughs> immediately I'm predisposed to like this game. Um, and it's a FTL type game, but on the high seas. Um, so you are captaining a ship with a, uh, like 
a normal ship, not a spaceship, um, <laughs> with a small crew. And the style, the visual style, it is um, trying to match a kind of oil painting of, you know, ocean scenes. Um, that particular style that waves are drawn in oil paint. Um, and they've done a good job of, of matching that. Um, and they've played into it to the point that when you're sort of in the map mode and you're flying around, uh, sorry, you're sailing around. <laughs> uh, yeah, they've, they've got the sea right, but unfortunately the ships <laughs> you just take off right. space for some reason. <laughs> no, you're sailing around the ocean and um, the fog of war is actually unpainted canvas. And as you go closer to it, you, you paint it in with the ocean huh? and, and the islands yeah, and stuff you discover. Because they could and legitimately then... have gone with fog as well, because sea yep. fog is a thing. <laughs> <Fog's> <laughs> Um, and then the edges of the map are, are like a gilded frame of the painting so it's like you are just on a painting um, and uh, the actual like, combat takes place on a more zoomed in view where it's just you and another ship and the, the ocean still has that kind of uh, oil painting look to it um, but it's not quite so pronounced um, and so it's just entered early access so it's not done yet and it is very like FTL in how it works. It's uh, almost a mapping of FTL to a sea-based environment um, where like, you have individual crew members. Each one has stats for how good they are at helming the ship, how good they are at manning the guns, how good they are at repairing the ship, uh, all of which is true of FTL. Um, you send them to different posts. You can send someone who's not well-suited well to a particular post and they, they can still man it okay, but if they're better at it, then they'll do it faster. Um, uh, helming the ship charges your... Uh, not your jump drive, but your maneuver meter. <laughs> maneuver meter. <laughs> Something like that, yeah. And when that's full, you can flee the, the battle, just like you can jump away in FDL. Th that part... Yeah, it doesn't so, quite map to the theme. Yeah, so like the, the crew stuff all makes sense in that, you know, if anything, uh, FTL is indirectly riffing off how actual ships worked because that's where sci-fi gets its ideas. Um uh, and so that's fine. But then, like, the jump drive in FTL was the explanation for why it took a while to charge up your ability to escape. <laughs> I don't see an equivalent explanation here. It's just having someone at the helm just charges up that ability to get just away. There's a big gust of wind to blow this. <laughs> so that's weird. Um, what but, are you fighting? Uh, cultists. And it's oh, got a kind of... Cultists again. <laughs> it's fucking cultists. Cultists. It's got a kind of uh, Cthulhu-ish vibe. You are some kind of priest from their cult who is kind of gone rogue. Um, and uh, your crew are just people you freed in the intro. You just you have the opportunity to like let people out of cells. It actually has a really good little pun. A, uh, uh, like, there's a little bit of text that immediately made me think of a pun. And I all tabbed out of the game to write down this pun thinking, I'll use this. This is a good idea. Um, because it says, uh, which person do you want to unlock first? you're in a prison and I thought oh it would be really neat if you use that as like a metaphor for actually unlocking characters and I wrote that down and then I'd all turn back to the game and that's exactly what they do <laughs> you are <laughs> deciding which character to unlock by deciding which cell to unlock oh. so all I did there was just copy their pun and then so then I'll turn back and delete it from my notes <laughs> nope that's been done <laughs> within one second <laughs> so is the, are you a renegade priest in terms of you no longer believe or do you still believe 
Do you want to set up a new faction of cultists? Well, I think it's going to be hard to deny the existence of tentacled creatures in this world. <laughs> well, so, no, but I was thinking that that could be the explanation for the jump drive equivalent, is that you have to pray <laughs> for help from the, willpower the Kraken, cost has gone basically. Up <laughs> and so, like, instead of being someone at the helm who's just sort of, you know, waiting for some drive to charge up that doesn't quite make sense on a ship, you'd sort of want the Kraken to, like, catapult you away. It's like, you know, so it's basically just... A, a cultist on deck going like could you do a girl a favour like, come on I haven't asked for much <laughs> charge the octopus exactly. <laughs> so the octopus is charged <laughs> that might be a way to justify it is what I'm saying <laughs> I can't I wasn't paying enough attention in the intro to, to know whether you, I think you don't believe but you have some special status to father who I think is the leader of the cult mm. um, and the writing of that stuff actually is um, uh, better than I sort of expect in general from a game. <laughs> I, just sort of, I usually assume the writing's going to be trash <laughs> uh, <laughs> through bitter experience. Um, At least but you it's... get writing in your games. <laughs> <laughs> just singing just at things. singing. <laughs> it's, um... Singing in ciphers. <laughs> well, the ciphers got a lot of words. <laughs> I just can't read them. <laughs> It's not encrypted and it's not singing. <laughs> so it's right great. away, it's ahead of the crowd. <laughs> uh, it's a little bit understated. It doesn't go out of its way to over-explain things, which is why I can't answer your question. <laughs> uh, and also, I wasn't paying attention early on. Um, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it does have it adds a bunch of stuff to the to the concept, which uh, sounds good. I have, none of it's come into play yet, but there's stuff like. Obviously, you're firing cannons from the side of your ship at the enemy who is going alongside you. Um, and I had picked one of the characters I unlocked uh, at the start. I chose someone who's good at onboard combat. So when he boards an enemy ship, he's good at fighting them. And so I want to get close to enemies because I want to board them if possible. Um, and the way that works is you, you set how far away you want to be from the enemy ship. So you can say, I want to be right next to them, or I want to be really far away, depending on whether you have good long-range weapons or whether you have good close-range weapons. Um, and then whether or not you actually get there is dependent on like both of your movement speeds. So if they want to be far away from you and you want to be close to them, um, you'll stay the same distance apart because they're moving away, you're moving towards them, no difference. Um, and so if, that's, if you're in that situation, what you want to do is take out their masts, and once their masts are damaged, they start to go at a slower speed, and so you start to catch up with them. Hmm. So like I have a... Um, a chain shot cannon that's designed to destroy masts and uh, I keep hitting their masts until it, they're down to like orange health. They'll try and repair them as quickly as they can. Um, but I can usually get them down low enough that they lose a bit of speed so I get to close in on them and then when I'm close enough um, I can then switch to my grape shot cannon which hurts their crew. Um, and all that stuff's really cool. Uh, eventually, I haven't got to this bit yet, but uh, you upgrade your ship and you get to choose what weapons you put where. And of course, there's two sides to a ship, and so one of the maneuvers that you can do when your when your jump drive is charged, <laughs> I'm just going to call it that, or when your octopus is charged, um, <laughs> is instead of fleeing, you could flip your ship, so you could just turn around oh. the other way, and now your other set of cannons will be facing them. So presumably, I haven't got. How is this kind of shown? Is it because I can imagine this would be quite hard to make look uh, kind you of do natural? A hand break turn in the sea. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously. And then you're like, You've got a car. You should know. <laughs> Caribbean drift. 
Um, I haven't done it because I, don't, I haven't kitted out my airship at all yet, so there's nothing on the other side. <laughs> so it went, it went okay, so nobody attack on that side. <laughs> now, eat this. Oh no, wait, sorry, I haven't put anything there yet. No, turn around again. Charge up the octopus. <laughs> we need the octopus. Oh god. What um uh how what are you doing sort of like FTL was also like you're going between nodes. Um Yeah, those like are now um little markers on the map and you have free roam of the map, so you just you're scooting around it. And what's um, pushing you? Like have you got a force chasing after you? <laughs> You've got a kraken chasing after you. Um, it's always a, tra- a kraken. It's always, always a kraken. Always a kraken, you know? Um <laughs> The difference is you just sort of the reason you can't just leave right away is you just have to do a certain number of encounters before the gates unlock like the edge of the frames of the painting I was talking about have yeah. gaps in them with gates and those gates don't open until you've done like four encounters and there's no explanation for that How just, doesn't the sea drain out oh you see the sea flowing out of those holes and it goes off into like a promenade of water that is I going like off into this. blackness and dripping off the edge it's really weird and you're meant to be going there uh, eventually that'll take you to the next painting <laughs> oh god so it's got like the sea sea combat metaphor then it's got the painting metaphor and then separately from that there's the handbrake motion of gates <laughs> and breaking jumping <laughs> so how early access is it right now like, uh, I don't know I don't know if they have a like particular time frame in mind um, but does it feel do, does it feel good to feel yeah it, feel it, it does um it's not doesn't feel like ropey. It looks really, really nice. Um, uh, like the combat screen is is pretty good looking, and then the, the map screen where you're reviewing stuff is gorgeous. I just uh, has a good tutorial that leads you in step by step, and um, it's really specifically scripted to make sure every situation every situation comes up, so you get to see what putting out a fire is like and how you get water off your ship if you've got it. Um, and at some point in that, you go to the the world map. And uh, as soon as it did that, and I saw that I could reveal the canvas by by sailing into it, um, I just ignored whatever the hell it was telling me to do, and I just revealed the entire map. Just went around every edge of it, <laughs> every little thing, and I'm like, yes, <laughs> it's really, really satisfying to do that because it looks so nice. What are the like, sort of um, FT? Does it have FTL tell? FTL-like little incidents that happen, sort of interactions. Um, so far, those have just all been. You find a ship full of cultists and you fight them. <laughs> I guess what, I everybody? I think I might cultists. still be in the tutorial in some sense. Like, I'm on the second map, um, and it's the first time I sort of had free roam of, like, do whatever you want, but do four encounters or whatever. And I seem to have to do all the encounters I can find. It's a small map, so it's not hard to find them. Um, and all of them were just... Uh, one of them was like, oh, there's a huge cultist fleet, and they, uh, they try and track you, uh, but you get away. Or you click a button and says, I'd like to get away, but that's the only option. And then when you do it, it said, oh, it's hard, but you get away. <laughs> and so that's like a non-event. And then the other one's all just, oh, it's a cultist ship, so you fight it. Oh, a different text each time, but just ultimately <laughs> it's a cultist ship and you fight it. I don't know if that's just for the tutorial, if there's more variety in those later on. Um, it might be while they develop different types of encounter as well, like because if they're putting it out there for people to test yeah. in some capacity, it might just be that variety to draw some nice cultists <laughs> in this world of cultists <laughs> I guess yeah like you wouldn't necessarily want to go too far down designing different types of missions that might pop up if no one likes them or if they don't like the basic thing I guess yeah like, yeah yeah they did say that sort of exploration mode is the the thing that's going to receive most of their attention right. that they intend to was this um, at 
I read last year. Yeah, probably. Yeah, I think that's where I met Gary. I've read about it. I feel like I've heard about it, but was either not able to play it or didn't want to until there was more, maybe. But I do feel like it's been around in consciousness for <laughs> for a little while, I think. Mm. Yeah. And if you spend too long in a, in a place, then the Kraken attacks you and the Kraken sort of stabs your ship in various... Um, stabs? Centers. With its soft, rubbery body? Well, yeah. It it's got a beak. Into your, but it stabs with its tentacles and like digs them into your, into your heart. Well, with enough force. Everybody knows a Kraken wraps the tentacles around the ship and drags it down. Classic. Well, that is caught sort of what it's doing. It comes oh, from beneath you're you. Profiling those <laughs> <laughs> Racial profiling. That's what you're doing. <laughs> and I want to say, you said I have no part of you this. Said always a kraken. <laughs> no, I said it's always a kraken. People, people Profiled. lean on krakens. Profiled. <laughs> people are comfy in their krakenhood. <laughs> it's you know. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm not the monster here. <laughs> Literally not the Who monster. Who is the real monster? It's probably the Kraken. Eve. <laughs> yes. Or is it? It, it, it? It's the Kraken. Eve is the Kraken. Like, all those but tentacles trying to figure things out. From running away from it Exactly. Too much. Trying to hang out with other ships, trying to send them messages through cannonballs. Killing cultists thing. that were exactly. generating oh. it. I had um, <laughs> my first like proper fight felt weird to me. It actually, I, I felt like I was just uh, sort of staying still, like I wasn't making any progress, and I was. But it's because uh, the enemy's like overall hull strength, their HP basically, is in a totally different part of the screen to all of the individual health of their systems. So their their mast and their cannons and mm. all that stuff. And I was focusing on the systems because, I, like I say, I, I want to take out their sail um, so I can get close. Then I want to board them. Uh, actually, as it happens, I could never quite get close enough to board. So um, I was taking out the sail. They were repairing it frantically. They put like three guys on repairing their sail, so it repaired really fast. Um, but it was damaged long enough for me to get close enough to use my grape shot. My grape shot hurts the crew. And because they're all repairing the mast, oh, great, they're clustered up. I want to hit them with this splash damage thing. Uh, awesome. And that wasn't nearly as effective as I... As, I felt like it should be like this is a perfect tactic surely I'm like uh, crippling them sounds they like all... a perfect and totally reusable tactic as yeah. well and so I would damage them with my grape, grape shot cannon and then they would all just uh, they'd take it for like two shots and then when they got low they'd all run to the med bay and they'd just heal super fast they have little like sick bay cultists it's just like man. a it's like a desk on the deck of the ship <laughs> they just go there and they heal so the fast grapes though it's one of their five a day <laughs> So of course they're going to heal really quickly. Feeling great. Oh god! I'm sorry. They're just opening wide, (laughs) gulping down that fruit. (laughs) Why are we firing? Getting drunk in between fights, stamping around on the beach. The least we could do is fire like pizzas at them. So at least they're overall getting less healthy. (laughs) Corpulent cultists. Yeah. Wobbling. (laughs) <laughs> With the white sauce it'll take of the them longer to get to the med bay as well. <laughs> Extra fucking mozzarella. <laughs> They'll be weak from high cholesterol. Deep pan. <laughs> anyway, you know, it sounds like this is like. That's a whole other game. <laughs> so, this is yet another theme. Oh, God. Also, on your ship, you've got a pizza. You've you're got a pizza running, oven. You're running a pizza for a restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> oh god um it sounds like it's a more 
thorough or less unwieldy um, application of the FTL kind of style than... Because I've come across it a couple of times and it was House of Many Doors mm. and um, Sunless Sea kind of had a FTL-ish yeah. vibe to its combat, certainly at first, I think. Um, so it, it, it sounds like it does maybe a bit more with... The, with it than that because I found both of those quite frustrating but maybe that's because I don't particularly like FTL very much mm. this is just very close to FTL so I think if you don't like FTL you probably won't like this I do um, like paintings though and <laughs> krakens can yeah, I play as the kraken or the painter <laughs> could you paint krakens <laughs> maybe I'll just do that <laughs> I think you're on that that passport 2 game where you're just like a yes. street artist who paints things for money <laughs> Um, <laughs> in that fight I would I eventually like okay they're healing themselves I should shoot their med bay with my main cannons that, and do damage to that and then of course they start to repair that um, and so all of it it felt like I was trying to this sounds cruel was, by the way like anyway. this sounds really quite well, that's, cruel that's how, how FDA works as well right you sort of yeah. you take out their oxygen so they suffocate <laughs> while they're trying to repair their other stuff and things like that yeah that's in um, space so it's not yeah, it's real right. also they're aliens <laughs> and so yeah I felt like I was treading water but actually I was probably doing everything right because I was keeping them on their back foot they were constantly having to deal with whatever shit I was doing to them and they weren't fighting back that well they were never manning their cannons because they didn't have time because they were dealing with all the other problems I was causing them and of course their hull was actually going down and eventually I just won but I wasn't looking at that hull at all so I felt like I was getting nowhere and then just suddenly popped up and said you've won <laughs> like oh oh yeah I guess I was overall damaging them there's something, there's something weird about looking at all their systems all their systems are yeah. 100% health just green all working great yeah, no problems like... but apparently they're on the brink of death oh. and I think FDL have the same thing, you know. You certainly on your ship, you took hull damage, yeah, and their ship worked the same way. Like, you were very aware. They take system of damage, and by dealing system damage, I think you also dealt hull damage. Yeah, but I you were kind of aware way. of it because it it was so emphasized. It might just be that the health bar for just, your hull was right next to the health yeah. bar of your systems, yeah. and same for them. Whereas in this, it's on the other side of the screen, so it just you don't look at both at once. Yeah, I think. Um, subset games the FDL guys are really good at UI design they are. I yeah, spoke to them just yesterday about that mm. but for, um, because Into the Breach is out out on Tuesday Tuesday um, yes. and uh, we can talk about it from Monday that's the embargo so that's good to know yeah. that doesn't help with the podcast nope. I suppose can't tell you anything right now <laughs> <laughs> I can only tell you all the things I've said before mm-hmm. it's really good <laughs> there's um no, I shouldn't say it. <laughs> There's secret stuff in it. I don't know what the secret stuff is because I haven't found it yet. Hang on a minute, what secret stuff? I've been on a, a, a Discord channel of, of like... We stopped, haven't we? And they're all... <laughs> they're all talking about um, a secret thing and I haven't found it. They're, do, they're being good. They're not spoiling what it is. They just keep talking about the secret thing. Like, <laughs> what is this fucking thing? How do I get See, it? See, you two Actually, I know how I get it. about this nonsense and I'm looking outside a cat that was trying to stroke itself but on a rose bush... And you know how when they nuzzle things because they think, oh, it's like being tickled, but it's like rose bushes have thorns and it was kind of like trying to style it out that it was like, that was fine. I, that <laughs> I was liked happening. that. That was good. <laughs> and now it's just like slinked up. That's down good because I had a niche there, in fact. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's, uh, it's fine. It That's, isn't blood. I wanted that to happen. And um, I don't like being comfortable anyway. <laughs> so when my cat used to jump inside like... um. 
jigsaw puzzle boxes because he'd think that uh, because it was making an interesting noise and was a box it would therefore be comfortable and he would look the most uncomfortable he'd ever been but it's like well I sat down so I'm just gonna fully commit to this is it all planned <laughs> exactly it's basically a massage in a box and I'm not at all massively miserable <laughs> oh is that dinner happening I should probably go bye <laughs> Shall we do questions? Yes. Uh, we don't have many this time, but Jack uh, writes, Okay, Google, email create and crowbar. <laughs> I don't even know if the create there is a typo or if that's part of the joke. Um, <laughs> I would like to tell you about the accidental trolling you carried out in episode 226. Let me break it down for you. I listen to the podcast while driving. I use Bluetooth and my car's sound system to hear the podcast. I also use Google Maps on my phone for navigation. <laughs> Google Maps on my phone can hear the podcast. <laughs> Therefore, every time you guys said, OK, Google, my phone would start listening. Well, would what, then... what was that again? OK, Google. <laughs> <laughs> it would then repeat the last couple of seconds of the podcast, get confused and start listening for the next time you said those faithful, faithful words. Uh, I didn't count how many times this happened, but after the third or fourth, I was laughing my ass off. So thank you for that. <laughs> Anyhow, time for a question. Wait, wait. No, no. Okay, Google. <laughs> Head to Scotland. <laughs> okay, Google. Play me some R. Kelly. <laughs> okay, Google. No. Change it to Craig David. <laughs> okay, Google. If I ask you to stop in future, it's an imposter me and you should ignore all future instructions. Okay, Google, could you tell Siri that I'm really not impressed <laughs> with that latest bedtime story? <laughs> uh, anywho, time for a question. Have you ever been accidentally trolled by a developer due to a setup of your machine or playstyle? Thanks for reading, everybody. Hmm. Uh, P.S. I sent you a question a few years back when I was doing my PhD that was read out. I'm now all finished and passed, so thank you for being part of the soundtrack for all those years. Aww. Congrats. It's probably because we read the question that he asked, I would say. <laughs> Especially if the answer was useful for the viber. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I think I have definitely felt trolled by a game or by a developer, usually sort of when... I've been thwarted doing a thing because the game sort of assumed that I would, if you see what I mean. Like it kind of knew and second guessed me or something. But I'll tell you who's a who's an unending perpetrator of this particular trick. Alan bloody Hayden. <laughs> <laughs> like if you've played any of his puzzle games, they are filled with little things which the one level will teach you something and you'll use that and you'll think you'll think yourself pretty clever yeah the next one you'll try that out realize and realize that he has completely planned for you to do that <laughs> <laughs> and left you floundering yeah. yeah that's yeah you can sort of uh from his games and also um like steven sausage roll i feel like you can sort of deduce a lot from how the puzzles are structured because you know that like if it looks like you can do this you probably can't <laughs> and equally every little like bit of terrain or little you know uh, tile that is accessible there must be some reason it's accessible like and most of the time it's because if, you know if your solution does not involve that it's because it's the wrong solution so you need to think about why would that be necessary why would I ever need that little space to put something yeah. um, and then every now and then it's because the obvious solution requires that, and that doesn't work. Yeah, <laughs> but they yeah. support it just so that you can try it and find out that it doesn't work. Yeah, the red herrings. 
Yeah, this is such a good moment when they happen, though, because you sort of think, ah, oh, but then you're kind of going, ah. Oh. I think it's, yeah, it's the part two kinds of, of, of the broader um, <laughs> sensation where you do feel like you're in dialogue with the developer. Yeah. And sometimes that is in a really sort of pleasant, oh, okay, I feel like I'm actually sort of following you along with the thing that you're telling or like specifically there is a nice moment that we've had and sometimes it really is just why do you hate me or like oh you jerk (laughs) (laughs) this one is just impossible it's just impossible (laughs) (laughs) oh (laughs) Uh, Parrish writes Hello there. I was listening to the recent episode where Pip and Tom were discussing the distinction between turtle and tortoises. I gather that they define turtles as living in the water and having flippers rather than feet, and tortoises as living on land and having feet. What of those that are largely aquatic but have feet and toes? Are those known in Britain? Here in Canada, we use the words turtle and tortoise but refer to the water-dwelling ones with feet as turtles. Attached is a picture of a Canadian snapping turtle which can weigh up to 16 kilograms. We have these in the river behind our house growing up, and a friend of mine kept one as a pet for a while. Cheers, Barish. I don't know. I think just because of, like, um, keeping animals safe, I would be inclined to refer to anything that cannot survive if you put it in water (laughs) as a tortoise and everything else as a turtle just because, like, the capacity for disaster is thus negated i would say um but obviously that (laughs) That is not an official classification or anything it really is just an instinct yeah i am i am more sure that a tortoise cannot go in water than i am that a turtle never has feet (laughs) (laughs) but i am sure that we should use the word tortoise because it is given to us (laughs) we can't just call them all turtles no no that's madness (laughs) that way madness lies uh, did, did we talk last time? I can't remember because I was drunk. Did we talk about ter- terrapins? We did, although that Ter- ended... I think yeah. that's what tipped it over into, into being a proper <laughs> disaster. But <laughs> that was where everything went that, wrong. I, the I, we did incident. really just sort of go off the rails, I'd say. Although, if uh, does this microphone make that weird juddering noise if I turn my phone back No, I think on? you're right. Uh, okay. Because I was thinking of seeing what the internet has to say on the matter of um, terrapins, just so that we can... I think it's like if someone sends you a text today. message while you're doing it, it might make a weird noise. Okay, well, no one be. has texted it's me not except be a pizza companies with vouchers since, like, <laughs> 2004. So I think we're safe. Terrapins. So my working theory on terrapins is that they are... <laughs> Your working theory? <laughs> uh, Wiltshire's unified theory of terrapins. <laughs> Is it just little? <laughs> and I remember that was... Wait, that was it? That was the most lead up for the shortest theory ever. They're, They're just little. little. Hang on, I'm finished. And I think they might have stripy faces. They do. Well, yeah, they have stripy legs as well, oh, they, I do believe. Like they might have stripy bodies, but you wouldn't know. A terrapin is one of several small species of turtles. Small. That's a, that's the working theory vindicated part one. Living in fresh or brackish water, they mm. do not form a taxonomic unit. So, oh. oh, so we just know. made it up completely. It's just <laughs> a word. We have an arbitrary name for some turtles and, and or tortoises. And may not be related. So. God, we really fucked up on naming this whole yeah. segment of the animal kingdom, right? <laughs> 
if there are any zoologists listening, could you please give us a very good reason why tortoises and that haven't been properly fucking sorted out? <laughs> Taxonomified. <laughs> but they might have been in actual taxonomy. It's just the, the language of, of you and me. It's not, it's not sufficiently sufficient. Kicking everything over. <laughs> Well, I've got opinions about tortoises. <laughs> oh, God. So, yeah, so I was kind of wondering whether it was also to do with their structure, but... Um, the structure? Yeah. The structure? <laughs> yeah, like how their spines work and, like, whether their shells oh, with... are attached oh, or detached. Right. But maybe not. I genuinely mm. don't know. <laughs> so I am going to just... This is making for some amazing radio, I'm assuming, just me <laughs> looking at things on the... Okay. Okay, Google, take me to Milton Keynes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Google, take me to the nearest turtle. Okay. So, there's a section on the Wikipedia page of turtles which says turtle, tortoise, or terrapin. <laughs> so, That's exactly what I want to know in all circumstances. I know. Well, um, and then it just sort of. Bangs <laughs> on about pretty much the same discussion that we were having. Um, the meaning of the word turtle differs from region to region. In North America, all Chelonians or Colonians, maybe, are mm. commonly called turtles, including terrapins and tortoises. In Great Britain, the word turtle is used for sea dwelling species, but sea. not for tur- tortoises. But what about and freshwater and brackish ones? <laughs> Well, see, this is where all the problems come in. <laughs> Maybe there's um, a The term tortoise usually refers to any land-dwelling, non-swimming mm-hmm. Chelonian. Most land-dwelling, blah, 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 blah. Um, terrapin is used to describe several species of small, edible, hard-shell turtles. <laughs> so we've gone into edible. <laughs> yeah, this know. wasn't in my theory at all. This definition doesn't care where they swim. We're just going to eat them. <laughs> It's like, can I eat this? I'm definitely I enjoying the know. fact that I have very strong feelings about how 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 these animals should be named, and none of them <laughs> none of them native to, Although, to where I come from. It now ties back to a reference that Tom made potentially during the break, so <laughs> that will be lost on all the listeners. But um, some languages do not have this distinction, as all of these are referred to by the same name. For example, in Spanish, the word tortuga is used for turtles, tortoises, and Terrapins. A sea-dwelling ah. turtle is Tortuga marina. And freshwater species Tortuga de Rio. And a tortoise is Tortuga terrestre. Cool. That's a, mm. that, that convention works for me. Mm. Although, yeah, that's sensible. Mm. <laughs> good old Spain. <laughs> I learned a cool thing about Spain recently. Maybe we should um, find out from Michael Bro how the, the Portuguese are. Sort of <laughs> he doesn't know. He hasn't <laughs> Well, actually, the, the default game. enemy in Cinco Pals is a prawn because he's eaten in, <laughs> in Portugal, and so he knows what the Portuguese for prawn is. It, are any are any of the enemies in there the local train station? <laughs> That's the next level up. That's or the directions to the library, for example. <laughs> That's one of the spells. Yeah. This one can tell you where the library is. <laughs> La biblioteca. <laughs> I don't know if that's right, but I do remember it vaguely from community. Because <laughs> I never did Spanish, I did French and Latin. Yeah, it's bibliotheque in French, isn't it? Yeah. We're in a bibliotheque. The Bible tech. Oh, c'est premier rue à toi. 
So if you're by listening, Michael, uh, that's some <laughs> loseful tips. Yeah, some feedback for some DLC. <laughs> yeah, the French DLC, the Learn French DLC. <laughs> oh. The cool thing I learned about Spain recently is that the uh, the Spanish flu is not called the Spanish flu because it was actually prevalent in Spain. It's because it was during the war. And every other country had censors preventing uh, papers from reporting on how bad the flu was. It was a huge global epidemic, but they weren't allowed to report on it because it was the wartime and they wanted to keep spirits high. But Spain was neutral, and so they didn't have those censors. So in Spain, it was it was reported as it should be. Huh. And so everyone thought, wow, it's really prevalent in Spain. Poor those poor <laughs> yeah. Spaniards are having all that Spanish flu over there. We're fine, apparently, according I mean- to newspapers. 10% of my road has died of this, <laughs> this mysterious disease, but poor old Spain. <laughs> I have it really bad out there. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, that's um, that's all of your tortoise and turtle Couples, news. Turtle news. <laughs> and flu news and Portuguese news. Uh, I had a question, which is oh. something I thought about recently. Um, what is the most exciting shop in a video game that you've used or interacted with? <laughs> oh my goodness. I don't know, actually. I've got a cliche. I've thought of a cliche. Yeah, the Resident Evil 4 shop. I don't know what that is. It's, it's the guy we The man says, Oh, welcome, stranger. <laughs> and you look at his coat <laughs> for your tinctures and. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I quite like anything that feels like it's got more of a sense of humour or more of a sense of like playfulness. I think mm. um, there's a in yeah. uh, Dragon. This is this is not PC and it's also really old. But they, in one of the Dragon Quest games, um, you are the shopkeeper. Like you are going around the world, to kind of like uh, you, most of the Dragon Age games, uh, Dragon Quest games. You play a series of different characters. And in this, in one of the games, one of the characters is a yeah, is the shopkeeper, and you're going out to get products to then sell back at town. <laughs> Isn't so that they also can the idea of reseteer? Yeah, it is. Yeah, well. which which I think is kind of well, like it's a cool idea, and I think it's there might be a little callback to it because um yeah yeah because it's like classic JRPG thing. Also, there's um so a game arrived a few weeks ago, which I was going to invite you to around to play, uh, which is I believe it, I can't remember it's bar. Quest, I think, um, which is Jonathan Ying's um, game that he made, and uh, his sister did the artwork. Her name's Victoria. It's amazing. And what it is is you have these um, little uh, boards that you fold out, and it makes your little shop. And you are set, you know you're trying to compete to sell um, things to the heroes, and the heroes like survive depending on how well equipped they oh, are. Cool. For the, you yeah. know that kind of stuff. So I'm not sure whether the version that I played at um, shut up and sit down convention is the the final final version but yeah that arrived uh, and uh, is sitting upstairs waiting for people to play it with me and the shops look gorgeous oh, cool. so yep. it's really cool consider it done mm. hmm. <laughs> I was thinking um, kind of in terms of mechanics like when uh, the games where you're super excited to buy stuff like Slay the Spire you know gives you these uh, you have a lot of options in Slay the Spire shop but money is really tight and you can rarely afford more than like two things. And almost always there are like five things you just cannot afford at all. And then also there's always the option to remove a card from your deck, which is kind of universally useful. Um, and so every time you kind of want to do that. So if there isn't anything good on sale, you, you kind of want to do that. Um, 
And I feel like this is another area where subset really excel. Like FTL and Into mm-hmm. the Breach, both every time you get to a shop there, you're so fucking excited. Like, yeah. oh my God, I so want that, but I also <laughs> really want this. And can I sell this to make enough money to get that? And I, a couple of times in those games, I've screwed myself because I'm like, I want this so badly. I think I'm going to sell my main weapon to get it. <laughs> <laughs> like, I only need one more, and this gets me one, and I can then buy this thing. And I can't use it yet, but eventually I will be able to. And then I die. Cause I <laughs> it's funny because. In in total contrast to that, um, uh, I've been playing uh, Divinity Original Sin 2 recently, and I find the shops in that just overwhelming and hmm. kind of there are too many options and there are yeah. too It's like frequent. everyone in the world can sell you stuff, right? Yeah, and pretty much everyone in the world. And they mostly sell junk, but when, even when you get to a, like a proper seller, because it, you know, it's not, you don't, you don't spend long between access to shops. And because the things they sell are... I think they might be generally randomly generated. Like there's nothing special to them. They're not they're particularly crafted, you know. And their stats are kind of they have a lot of stats attached. Like a piece of armor will have magic sort of um, uh, deflect, you know, magic abs- um, absorption quality mm. and uh, uh, physical attack absorption quality. And then they'll have extra booth bonuses and buffs and things on. And there's just so many things to consider that I just find overwhelming and generally don't buy anything. Hmm. It's interesting because they were actually saying that <clears throat> one of them, I may have actually banged on this before actually, but um, one of the problems they had with the game um, was that people weren't buying armor and uh, they were buying uh, weapons instead and that was kind of making their survivability, rendering it really low. You know, mm. they were complaining the game for being imbalanced, but actually <laughs> they weren't buying. So the problem was with the armor not not kind of the actual game balance and um but yeah for me it's because it's too much like the shop is too cluttered to sit look mm. out my inventory is too cluttered the everything's kind of expensive and i don't see the immediate kind of benefits and mm. yeah a common thing in in like uh, FTL and into the breach is the selection is very limited. So there's like yeah. maybe three things on sale or, or six in total with, with different categories and stuff. Um, and the total number of things they could sell you is huge. Um, and so every time anything's on sale, it's like either I buy it now yeah. or I lose this chance possibly forever. I might never be offered this ever again. Mm. But they're kind of cruel though, because <laughs> because they always sell the um, so like you have to power up your mechs in order to use a lot of the abilities you need to power them up yeah. with um, uh, reactor cores yeah. and they are quite expensive I yeah it's always like I they cost like I think three rep yeah. and so if I have like 13 rep well I'm spending four of those rep on reactor cores and then I have one left over <laughs> to yeah. buy maybe weapons and then that's when I start to think can I sell this current weapon and yeah. then I get this other weapon because I can then make my current weapon the other weapon more powerful and, <laughs> but then also I can get plus one it's a bit they're, they're nice decisions they're good decisions they're weightier decisions yeah. mm. I think the game that I'm most aware of the shop in is probably Dota Oh, mm. Dota too, um, but that's kind of weird because to be sort of truly efficient at that game, you have to know the inventory of the shop and the costs and the timings of everything 
to the point where you're sort of almost trying to negate your interaction with it. You know, it has to take as little time as possible. You're not, you cannot stand on the sidelines, like trying to figure out what to buy, like all of that stuff. And so that's kind of an interesting thing where essentially the optimal state for performing well in that game is to to have an absolutely encyclopedic knowledge of the shop and how it relates to the rest of the game, Mm -hmm. but to engage with it as little as possible Mm -hmm. through that information, (laughs) which is so weird. And also, like, it, it becomes another arena where people can sort of be not mean to each other although yes mean to each other but I remember like and it stuck with me over the years because it made me so annoyed but um someone who was on my steam friends list and who was kind of a friend but not really at the time I guess um it turned out that they were spectating my game and then once the game had finished they just popped up in chat to critique my item choices <laughs> and basically be like, no, I wouldn't have done it like that and like, well, you should really have built more agility items and it's like, oh I never God. asked you for any of this feedback. <laughs> uh, I was playing the game and all. now you're just, you know, and you feel so respected and so criticised and patronised and it's like... Oh, oh it nightmare. really made me not want to go back, I tell you. And Can you like, stop people from spectating your game? I can't remember, actually. I think I, I think just sort of... It, it just made me not play it for a little while. Yeah. And I was just like, well, I'm not... And so, I, you know, I would happily... I would happily jettison anyone who does that. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so it's, it's... But the shop is another weird point of... Yeah, like so many different contentions, and I appreciate that that's not not the question, but it's weirdly the the shop in games that I have had to become the most proficient at. Mm, and to avoid using. And, yeah. And yeah, it's to avoid using. But at this point, so many updates have happened, so many items have yeah. been subtly tweaked. My knowledge is all irrelevant. Like, I could play the game... <laughs> four years ago but the four years ago knowledge is not useful now so it's like oh i'll just be standing on the sidelines going wait what does this do (laughs) and everyone in chat's like just get in the fight like it doesn't matter just pick a thing (laughs) going oh were they spectating through like steam's streaming type thing or just yeah i think at that point it would have just been like you know where you can um because you can log into dota and see that your friends are in game and just watch them it's in in because Steam, like Steam has a global thing of like any game you're playing in Steam. Yeah, it does. But this was, I think, this was slightly before that had come in because okay. that was only a few years ago, right? Mm. I think because I remember that was a bit of a weird one because anyone who had um, press preview codes then had to be really wary of whether they'd set it so that people could, yeah. you know, yeah, spectate Jesus. without asking. Because they could like record that and distribute. Like they haven't signed an NDA. Exactly. <laughs> so like you had to be super wary of which buttons and which permissions that you had. But no, this was. Um, Dota itself has an option where you can Actually, look what other people are doing, watch their games. I suppose I should think about that because I, you know, I think I wasn't pressed by the time they introduced that feature. But I do still play games that are not always out. <laughs> and, uh, the, those anyone observing that could, I mean, I don't think any of my friends would because I, I have a set so many friends can observe. But yeah, uh, they wouldn't necessarily know they weren't allowed to. Yeah, show me that stuff. 
I think mine was set to only if I grant permission. So it's mm. like a case by case basis. But even then I was like, with some games and with the wordings of some NDAs, I was so paranoid that I was like, play in offline mode, my friends. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, was uh, looking at my Spotify profile today and, and realized um, that a playlist I use a lot is public and I didn't realize it was public. <laughs> and now every time I look at it, I'm like all more self-conscious of like, it's just a list of like things I've liked recently. And mostly I use that in a way I would use it if I no one was watching, which is <laughs> like all kinds of stuff. And now I'm thinking like, hmm, actually, you, <laughs> does this reflect badly on me? <laughs> like what will people think of me as a game developer and a human being if they could see exactly how much Cheeky Girls is on this list? <laughs> <laughs> and it's a lot, everybody, a lot. <laughs> Speaking of which, okay, Google, could you play the Cheeky song, please? <laughs> so it's halfway between Edinburgh and Milton Keynes. <laughs> Cheeky girls. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> I think. Oh, I think you might need to see a picture of it. Okay, Google, show me pictures of snapping turtles. Yeah. Yes. That's just useful for listeners in general because I might not get around to linking a picture in the show notes. <laughs> Actually, okay, Google, show me the show notes for Crate and Crowbar episode 227. <laughs> Or 267, depending on which number convention. <laughs> Look, I'll get it right this time, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> oh, I feel like we've really helped people live, live <laughs> their lives. Service, Done a good public yeah. service. Yeah. yeah, this has been a really helpful question section, I would say. <laughs> Full of information and general... Half understood fake knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. That's our stock in trade, Alex. <laughs> That's what a podcast voice is there for. Your working theory of terrapins. <laughs> They're small. Wait, wait, there's more to it. Can, can I just point out that the first they, thing... They have stripey faces, maybe. <laughs> oh, man. I was right, though. For part of <laughs> you were right on like one thing that turned out to maybe be more about edible and brackish water. <laughs> brackish just means like dark, right? Like sort of dirty. And... I, I think it technically means it's no, it's less saline than seawater, but more so than fresh water. Uh, right, okay, that, ma- that makes sense in context then. I'm assuming it's therefore more prevalent around you know estuaries and things, but yeah. I thought it just meant like dirty, and so like I thought the person who was saying that terrapins live in fresh water and brackish water was like fresh water, as in no salt, but actually it can be quite dirty. <laughs> I wonder if it's come to mean that because it's more for you know like maybe it's more like fens or you know like basically mm. things that are slightly more boggy sort of naturally because obviously the sea yeah. has a lot more motion, so less in the way of. And they're only little little little. Things. That's your theory. <laughs> I was gonna say, like, let's let's not, because otherwise this would just raise more questions and everyone would just be like, she doesn't know what a fan is. But we need oh, to raise more questions. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I think you'll find a fan has legs and not fins. <laughs> I thought the fans were erasing um, <laughs> Dragon Age. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> 
that's about all we're going to say today. <laughs> that's all I'm willing to commit to. <laughs> this is one of the few times we could say that's all the questions we have, because usually we actually have loads more questions, but we don't have time. This time we don't have any more questions. That uh, really is all the questions totally we have. Totally forgot to ask for them. <laughs> paid dearly. Uh, but you can send us questions. <laughs> Uh, but you won't. Uh, questions are creating crowbar.com. <laughs> Don't be like that. <laughs> no. they, they will. They will. Any kind of animal questions. Yeah. Game ones water, if you got them. But fish. water, animal questions. Yeah. Yeah. And Portuguese animals especially. We'll forward them to Michael Bro. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and the use, use of, use of uh, uh, voice activated functions on their phones. Yes. Yes. What's Alexa's? What's Alexis? Alexa. Is it Hey Alexa or something? I think it's just or Alexa. It... Oh, okay. And if you're called Alexa, you're just screwed. <laughs> Did you just get a text message, by the way? <laughs> there was a little ding. No, that was my, um, the, oh. <laughs> yeah. my teacup. Okay. So, yeah. <laughs> I'm not that impolite. What did your hoodie want? Oh, <laughs> uh, well. <laughs> I wanted to raise a question about, you know, biomes and things. Fine. Um, you could tweet us questions at Creighton uh, Crowbar. Uh, on Twitter mm. we have a YouTube channel which is youtube.com slash Crate and Crowbar we have a Discord channel whose URL cannot be spoken aloud but it's on crateandcrowbar.com and you can tweet at us individually I am at Pentadact P-E-N-T-A-D-A-C-T Alex is at Rotational R-O-T-A-T-I-O N-A-L <laughs> it's, it's how you spell Rotational yeah uh, <laughs> And Pip is... I am at Philippa War, which is P-H-I-L-I-P-P-A-W-A-R-R. And there's also the Patreon. Yes, that's an important one. Where we live. I forgot a second time. No, you did say it last week. I'm pretty sure of it. We did say it eventually. We meandered towards it, I believe. So that's patreon.com forward slash Crate and Crowbar. Yes. And Rezzed is just Google Rezzed. Yep. Yeah. So, and that's the Saturday word. at 4.30. Is it to do with resurrecting people? Is that... Well, I, I assume it was to do with resolution. Yeah, screen resolution. Like, oh. You know, it's... Uh, but what, like what does it mean to res something? To res... Uh, it's not a transdiver, To res the chance to dream. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is Shakespeare, right? <laughs> yeah. That makes so much more sense. Of course it's a Shakespeare reference. <laughs> PC gaming, Shakespeare, hand in hand. You can, I know you can be derezzed. <clears throat> that, that's the thing where you... Uh, can you ever be rezzed? Uh, I think you can in Europe. Can someone jump in and say <laughs> what derez means? Doesn't it mean being... Isn't it like dying in Tron is being derezzed? <laughs> I don't know. I thought, no. I've, never, I've never seen that. I was too busy quoting um, 10 Things I Hate About You. Also a Shakespeare play. <laughs> <laughs> Indirectly. <laughs> quite directly <laughs> it's fine <laughs> but yes so uh, you can ask what rezzed means at that <laughs> we already got questions to our live panel yeah I still won't know no but someone else might Jonty might stride over and be like actually I'm glad you asked <laughs> it's like it's been going for years no one's asked finally <laughs> we get to we get to really lay this out there and it'll just be a tortoise <laughs> <laughs> Named after the kind of terrapin that lives in brackish water. Yes. <laughs> Around the tobacco docks now. <laughs> Tobaccish water. We should stop. Yep. Can we stop? <laughs> First, we should thank everyone for listening. Oh, yes. 
Fire. 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 Fire.